Sri Damodar Janani by Shivaram Swami, Appendix 4, Krishna's Fear of His Mother In the pastime of Krishna being bound by Yashoda Devi, we repeatedly see how the Lord exhibits fear of His mother and of the impending punishment she will mete out to Him. But how is it possible that the Supreme Personality of Godhead experiences fear even when the sound of His name is feared by fear personified? Does such a proposition not contradict the spiritual passages that describe how just by hearing about Krishna or by taking shelter of his lotus feet, his devotees become fearless? Moreover, have not the learned authorities also confirmed that Krishna himself never experiences a sensation of fear? Take, for example, this statement of the gopis who once went to the place where the brahmanas were performing sacrifice and said, Dear wives of the Brahmanas, you must know that not even a slight smell of distress can touch Krishna. He knows no loss. He knows no defamation. He has no fear. He has no anxiety. He does not know calamity. He is simply encircled by the dancers of Raj and is enjoying their company in the Rasa dance. How then can it be said that Krishna really experienced fear of Madhya Shoda? Was it not simply a dramatic performance to please his devotees for all time to come? The answer is no. Krishna was not play-acting when sitting atop the mortar. He was shivering in fear of his mother. This phenomenon can be further understood by studying the nature of transcendental fear as devotees experience it. Having understood that, we can analyze fear as Krishna himself experiences it. The topic of transcendental fear as it is perceived by devotees can be introduced by asking the question, why do devotees fear after Krishna or after Krishna's well-being when they know that he is the infallible, eternal, and fearless Supreme Lord? Rupa Goswami gives an example of such apprehension. Upon hearing the crying jackals of Vrindavan, Madhya Shoda would keep a close eye on Krishna, fearing that he might be attacked by them. Yashoda's emotions and her conduct in this regard exemplify ecstatic love and fear. We should note well that such fear has a unique characteristic. Unlike ordinary fear, in which one can recall past and contemplate the future, the only time frame a devotee knows in ecstatic apprehension is the present. There is no past or future. This, in part, explains why, even though Yashoda may have recognized Krishna's divinity, when she saw the universe in his mouth, and why, even though she had seen his inestimable power when killing demons like Putana, she still feared for him. She had forgotten those events of the past. The effect of such a limited-time perspective makes devotees worry after Krishna. Worry invokes the sentiment of fear, and fear invokes a sense of potential loss, that inspires feelings of possessiveness. The end result is that loving devotion is nurtured. Thus, it may be said that one characteristic of ever-flourishing loving devotion is that it inspires fear for Krishna in devotees' hearts. Another characteristic of loving devotion is its ability to blind devotees to Krishna's divinity even when such divinity is being manifested before their very eyes. 
This blinding influence exemplified in parental love can be seen in Devaki Devi. When Krishna first took birth in Kangsa's prison, he manifested full divinity with an all-opulent four-armed Narayan form. And despite the fact that she knew that her son was Lord Narayana, and thus impervious to Kamsa's evil, and because Krishna was her newborn, Devaki worried that Kangsa would kill him. There are many similar examples from Vrindavan, wherein Krishna displays his divine nature before the gopas and gopis. And yet they continue to view him as their cowherd associate. From these examples, it can be seen that the characteristics of loving devotion are such that devotees are repeatedly fearful for Krishna's safety and well-being. It is this fearfulness that contributes to the sweetness of Krishna's Vrindavan pastimes. If I were to summarize the two characteristics of loving devotion described above, then we can say that the influence of Krishna's internal potency, his Yogamaya, is the cause for devotees' feelings of fear for his safety. As Shukadeva Goswami says, Pitarav Upalabdharto Viditva Purushotamaha Mabhut Iti Nijamayam Tatana Janamohinim Understanding that his parents were becoming aware of his transcendental opulence, the Supreme Personality of God had thought that this should not be allowed to happen. Thus he expanded his Yoga Maya, which bewilders his devotees. Srimad Bhagavatam 10.45.1 In order to further understand the nature of transcendental fear, let us now briefly examine its ontological nature and the dynamics of how it works. Fear is the stai bhava, or the constitutional ecstasy underlying the indirect mellow of dread, sometimes also called the mellow of fear, bhayanaka bhaktirasa. Rupa Goswami writes, Vakshamanaya vidhidai purusham bhayaratir gata bhayanaka dibho bhaktiraso dira udiryate when devotion is mixed with fear, it is called bhayanaka bhaktiras. In other words, that relationship of love with Krishna, in which a devotee anticipates that Krishna will fall into a dangerous situation, is called dread. A transcendental fear is the ecstatic foundation of how devotees react to a dreadful situation. Because fear is the very basis of dread, apprehensive situations naturally invoke fear, and thus fear is not only the constitutional ecstasy of the mellow of dread, but it is a subsequent ecstasy, or anubhava. Indirect mellows like dread are not self-sufficient emotions, but rather they manifest from direct mellows, like parenthood. In Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's words, Pancharas tai vyapi rahe bhaktamane Saptagona Agontuka Paikarane. The five direct transcendental mellows of devotional service are permanently situated in the heart of the devotee, whereas the seven indirect emotions appear suddenly under certain conditions and appear more powerful. Therefore, in the example of Madhya Shoda, worrying after Krishna, her eternal maternal relationship is the shelter of the occasional sense of fear that she feels for him. 
the primary mellows of servitorship, parenthood, and conjugality are the most likely hosts to the mellow of dread. Therefore, it is in these relationships that fear for Krishna's well-being generally arises. While all pure devotees will fear after Krishna, it is often found that women and children most readily do so. The cause of devotees becoming fearful is when they sense some danger befalling Krishna. Such danger may be of at least three kinds. The presence of a horrible form of a demon, like Putana. The display of an antagonistic nature of his adversary, like Shishupal's and the immense power of Krishna's opponent, like Indra's. Because love is the foundation of such fear, the greater the love of a devotee, the greater the fear he or she will perceive. And while some demons, like Kangsa, also feel fear of him, because they have no love for Krishna, their fear is not spiritual and fails to qualify as a divine mellow. It is material. A host of symptoms are seen to appear in devotees when they become fearful, and these symptoms are perceived in their behavior, their appearance, and their emotional state. Existential ecstasies, sattvika bhavas, are systematic of devotees' behavior, and some such behavioral ecstasies are paralysis, perspiration, and fainting. The sub-ecstasies, anubhavas, a transformation of devotees' appearance, and they include the expansion of cheeks and dilation of eyes. And finally, the transitory ecstasies, vyabhichari bhavas, reflect emotional transformations including illusion, anger, and agitation. Although these symptoms may not at all be readily noticed or even understood by an observer, still they take place. An example of the visible aggregate of these three ecstasies is when out of fear for Krishna, devotees glance here and there, concealing themselves, searching after Krishna, or cry out a warning to him. All devotional mellows have a presiding deity as well as a characteristic color. The presiding deity of dread is Lord Parashurama, whose pastime of exterminating the Kshatriya race 21 times was certainly full of dread, and the characteristic color of dread is pink. In this way, we have summarily studied how fear for Krishna manifests in his pure devotees. One thing is clear, that such intense emotion born of dread is not a rehearsed performance on the part of the devotee, but rather a spontaneous show of ecstasy, a consequence of an appalling situation. But can the same be said for Krishna's expression of fear? The short answer is yes. To understand Krishna's expressions and feelings of fear, we should study a little further the dynamics of how loving devotion works. From that study, we shall see that in the way that love for Krishna is the cause of devotees' fear for him, love for his devotees can also be the cause manifesting Krishna's fear of them. Such are the workings of the Lord's Yogamaya. Generally, when we speak of divine love, we think of devotees' love for Krishna. This is because the inhabitants of the world have abandoned love for Krishna in exchange for love of sense enjoyment. 
and to both end the suffering we experience and to return to the Lord, we must reawaken our dormant love for Him. In the process of awakening love for Krishna, we hear of the mature love of Krishna's associates. For instance, the Lord speaks of Srimati Radharani's superlative love in this way. Se Parma Radhika Parma Ashrai Se Premar Ami Hai Kevala Vishai Shri Radhika is the highest abode of that love, and I am only its object. In this verse, the Lord describes two concepts, the abode of love, Ashraya, and the object of love, Vishaya. Perfect devotees like Sri Radha are repositories of love for Krishna. Thus, it may be said that the flow of love is from the devotee towards Krishna. And as we have shown earlier, when devotees see him confronted by a dreadful situation, that outpouring of love results in fear for Krishna. But Krishna is not unresponsive to his devotee's love, and the flow of love is not unidirectional. Krishna responds to love, and so the flow of love is reciprocal. In the way that it flows from devotees to Krishna, so it also flows from Krishna to his devotees. The Lord assures Arjuna that he is forthcoming to every show of affection. As all surrender unto me, I reward them accordingly. Everyone follows my path in all respects, O son of Pritha. And to the gopis, Krishna declares that although it is sometimes appears that he is unresponsive to love, he gives that impression just to increase devotees' feelings towards him, or because he feels incapable of reciprocating equitably. Naparye ham niravadya samyujam swasadukrityam vibhudha yushapiva yamabhajan durjara geha srinkalaha samvrishchatadvaha pratijatu saduna I am unable to repay my debt for your spotless service even within a lifetime of Brahma. Your connection with me is beyond reproach. You have worshipped me, cutting off all domestic ties, which are difficult to break. Therefore, please let your own glorious deeds be your compensation. From Krishna's testimony, it is evident that just as devotees are the shelter of love for him, Krishna is the shelter of love for them. The symptom of love that devotees experience for Krishna are similar to the symptoms of love that he experiences for them. Thus, the dynamics of love between subject and object, well documented by Rupa Goswami, can be equally applied to Krishna's expressions of love for his devotees and to the subsequent mellows that arise in him. Therefore, in the way that Yogamaya binds Madhyashoda to Krishna's true identity. Yogamaya also makes Krishna forget his own divinity. His association with his Vrindavan surroundings leaves him to conclude that he is a cowherd boy. Moreover, 
because Yashoda's spontaneous love for him is so focused as his identity as her son that it excludes any trace of his divinity. In his dealings with her, Krishna feels himself completely dependent on his mother. In Srila Prabhupada's words, The Supreme Personality of Godhead is unconquerable. No one can conquer the Lord, but he voluntarily accepts subordination to the devotional qualities of his devotees. For example, Lord Krishna accepted subordination to the control of Mother Yashoda because she was a great devotee. The Lord likes to be under the control of his devotees. In the Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, it is said that everyone comes before the Lord and offers him exalted prayers, but the Lord does not feel as pleased when offered such prayers as he does when a devotee out of pure love chastises him as a subordinate. The Lord forgets his exalted position and willingly submits to his pure devotee. Krishna's utter dependence on Mother Yashoda as his maintainer and protector means that he is prone to fear her chastisement as he is prone to bask in her words of praise. And so God fears his mother. He is not play-acting. He is actually afraid. So when Krishna is seated on top of the grinding mortar, distributing yogurt to monkeys, loving fear of Mother Yashoda agitates his heart and bewilders his mind. In a distressed condition, his mouth dries up, his eyes dilate, and his cheeks expand. Looking from left to right and back again, he apprehends the inevitable approach of his mother and the unprecedented punishment for unprecedented mischief. His heart pounding in fear and yet intoxicated by newfound freedom, Krishna ponders whether to conceal himself or to run to the forest for safety. But his scheming is all for naught. Yogamaya has not only inspired transcendental fear of his mother in Krishna, but she had also arranged that Yashoda Devi punish him, and that punishment shall be such as to forever resonate in the annals of Vaishnava lore, as it does in the hearts of the Vaishnavas and in the most remote crevices of his memory. Dear readers, divine love is a transcendental river of indescribable nectar in which two currents flow simultaneously in opposite directions, from devotees to Krishna and from Krishna to devotees. In that river grow lotuses of ecstasy that are the twelve colors including yellow, pink, and black, in which frolic the aquatics of incarnations like Kapila, Nursinga, and Bhargava. In the reverse movement of its waters, the river creates many whirlpools which draw Krishna and his devotees into their depths, bringing them closer and closer to each other. In this way, lover and beloved sometimes forget their identities, and devotees might think that they are Krishna, and he may think himself as a devotee. Meanwhile, the river waters continuously rise and rise, but they are unable to flood their banks because of the trees growing there. Those trees are the Rasika devotees, practicing and perfect, who drink the flood waters, and by doing so remain constantly in bloom. With flower upon flower sprouting from the branches, there is a constant shower of petals upon the river as the Malayan breeze sighs, Swaha! Upon the trees sit parrots, peacocks, and cuckoos. These birds are the reciters of Krishna Lila. 
songsters of the holy name and preachers of the absolute truth. Together they create a wonderful choir that not only adds to the bliss of the trees, but stirs the whirlpools, pleases the lotuses, pleases the lotuses, nourishes the aquatics, and, like the full moon, swells the river waters. Thus, a transcendental commotion ensues in which the river solidifies, and the lotus emerge. The aquatics jump ashore, and the tree, along with their flowers and birds, topple over. In this way, everyone becomes lost in the madness of transcendental love, until the Supreme Controller, Yogamaya, imperceptibly returns everyone to the original condition. Once again, the river liquefies, the current flows, and the lotus surface, the trees stand up, and the birds sing. And once again, both Krishna and his devotees respectively relish their transcendental exchanges of love as the subject and object, object and subject. May we all fall headlong into that wonderful river of ambrosia.